I'm Jasmine. I'm Alyssa. I'm Rhiannon. And this is Both Between Sisters. Change this to a singing podcast. So, how have you been? <laughs> you beat me to it finally. <laughs> I, to. I was like, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Good, tired, cold. I feel it. Yeah, the weather's been really, really cold. Really sunny though. Really pretty. It's really bright outside. It's really cold. Literally blinded me this morning. I'm blind. Um, I just want to like start this episode off with um, the news that we got about It Ends With Us. I have to say, I adore Blake Lively. I have to preference it with that because I really do. I, I love her. Not for Lily, though. It's not... She wouldn't be my pick for Lily. No. Like, she's not old, but she doesn't look young. She doesn't look early 20s, for sure. She definitely looks very mature. And then she's not red-haired, which, fine, you can dye somebody's hair red. Yeah. But she doesn't look like a redhead. Yeah. She just wouldn't embody what Lily should be. Yeah. You think of Lily, you think of somebody just very, like innocent looking very sweet very just young fresh face but with Blake Lively again as much as I adore her she plays a lot of very strong female characters and I just don't see her going into a role that's not that yeah yeah she doesn't yeah she doesn't have that innocent look like you said and that's the thing Lily is a strong character don't get me wrong I'm not saying that Lily's not a strong character but she grows into it though yeah she grows into it and it's not strong in the same way that of the characters that Blake plays right so but also just the fact she just looks like a mature old not older but yeah older than your older than what early 20s yeah Lily is yeah and then Justin Baldon Baldoni Baldoni I don't know how to say his name yeah. uh is playing Ryle I am anxious to find out who's gonna play Atlas that's gonna be really the like make or break of this movie is who they get to play Atlas and who for me who they get to play Alyssa because those are my two favorite characters in this book so I just if they mess those castings up then there's just no chance that I'm going to see this movie. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because it seems as though Colleen Hoover is the one that helped pick. OK, that's what I thought, because I'm like, I'm pretty sure in the article I read that she was the one who helped. But at the same time, I was like, maybe I'm just reading this wrong or I'm just confused about it. But I could have swore, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she helped pick the cast. I didn't mind who they casted for Ryle, but again, he doesn't look like he's in his early 20s. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like, neither Blake Lively or Justin look like they are younger, Yeah, you know, in the sense, like, they both look young, but not, like, in the age range that it should be. Yeah, I was expecting them to cast somebody maybe in their late 20s or early 30s but both of these actors are late 30s oh. early 40s apparently Blake Lively's only 35 oh well mid mid to late 30s then i think he's 39 or 40 i think it would have been smart for them to go for someone in their early 20s yeah Sadie Sink yeah what like was wrong Sadie. with her yeah Sadie Sink would have been good or um let's just say maybe Sadie Sink just declined the role that's what happened <laughs> yeah she I mean <laughs> the only thing is she's she looks really young though like they would have they would have had to make her somehow look more mature because especially her coming out of Stranger Things like she's playing a, a teenage character you would definitely have to do something to make her a little bit more mature so 
even like a Lily Reinhardt or um, who else did we discuss? Oh, the girl from Castle. And I can't remember her name right now. But those characters, those, they would have been perfect. But, oh, wow. It's not this our is, movie. <laughs> this is why I can't get behind books being made into movies. Yeah. Well, it seems like Colleen Hoover is having a big part in hand in the creation of it. But that kind of brings me to a question of, you know, us as the readers Mm -hmm. passionately want that book to stay the same, you know, the, the movie to reflect details and, you know, parts of the story that we're familiar with. But when you're some, like the author Mm -hmm. in that creative space of like, okay, I have a chance now to make this a movie what details like are going to make this more cinematic. Yeah. Like, well, it is true because I mean, when you're making a movie, you want it to be successful. So you do have to put in actors that are going to accomplish that. Um, But you also have to be very fragile because you do have a lot of people who read your book who are very protective of... Especially this book, I feel. Especially this book, (laughs) yeah. This is a huge one. So I'm like, it's kind of a fine line because if you are putting in actors that are, you know, big stars, you also have to keep in mind all the readers who are either going to make this movie successful by going to see it or not based off of who you're picking. But... I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a lot of people who like this casting. I don't know. I haven't really looked in to see any reactions to it. I just know that I just wasn't. It seemed from the, I think the the article that you sent me, it seemed like a lot of people were not on board with. No, like, like, lots of people are not happy with it. Yeah. Um. I know we can't show this on the podcast, but it, this cracks me up. I haven't even played the GIF. <laughs> I'm just imagining what's happening, but the tweet says me trying to stop uh, stop Blake Lively from doing that Colleen Hoover movie and it looks like somebody trying to like shush somebody else with their <laughs> hand over the mouth <laughs> no 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 <laughs> don't do it don't do it yeah lots of people are just kind of like like you Alyssa that you know we love Blake Lively yeah. she's a wonderful actress yeah nothing wrong with her whatsoever no just not for this role like yeah you can't just have anybody play any role right so yeah that's the feeling but maybe it'll come out and surprise us and we'll be like this is the best thing ever you never know maybe i mean i i have to wait for the trailer and again i'm waiting for the castings for atlas and Alyssa as well so yeah um but yeah when i was i was actually talking with um deja about this too and she was like yeah i think i have to I want to see the trailer. I want to see how they portray these characters. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Cause you know, maybe it is going to be better than what I imagine. You never know. Like again, Blake Lively is a great actress. And so I don't know, maybe we'll see. Yeah. I don't think they have a set date or anything out though. No, it looks like they're in the very early stages mm-hmm. of um, like casting. Yeah. They, they haven't announced any other casting Besides those two, so probably not, I'm assuming this year or maybe even next year. Yeah. Still a couple of years out. But yeah, otherwise, you guys been up to anything? Not too much. I did end up, again, my hair is up again, so Jazz doesn't get to Literally see have not seen you. Well, I did see your hair once, actually. Did you? I think. I don't know. Maybe. I don't. Since I cut it? Yeah. Oh, well, (laughs) actually, I do have a picture I'll have to show you. Um, But I ended up doing, I think I talked about this last time I was going to do a wolf cut. What's that? So um, it's basically, it's like trending right now, but I was just like, I need to do it because my hair, so I cut it and it wasn't styled. So it was just kind of laying like flat. And, uh, And then a lot of people were like, well, if you have curly hair, then you need to put layers in it. That way, like your curls are more bouncy and and it's more styled. And so um, what basically you can do at home wolf cut, which is you putting your hair all the way to the front of your head and then just kind of cutting and it naturally layers Hmm. your hair. 
Um, but I did that, but then I also did bangs. So I have like, it's like bangs and it's layered and it looks so much better than it did before. So you did that yourself? Mm-hmm. It looked really good. Really? Mm-hmm. Actually, let me... You're bold. I mean, it wasn't... It's not that hard to do. It's basically, like I said, just put it in a ponytail and, um, yeah. I told her I was afraid That's to so do it. That's so cute. I'm like, I don't think I can get Often things put it like on that. Instagram. <laughs> like, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, Ree, what were you saying? No, I was just saying, I was like, I was afraid to do it because I don't think I can get the bangs like she did it. Just have Alyssa do it. Apparently, she's good at <laughs> good at cutting. See, I don't know if I, I want to do it on somebody else. I'm scared. I'm like, if I mess up my own hair, then I don't care. But I'm like, right. messing up somebody else's hair. I'm like, hmm. You can't, you can't judge me. That's a disclaimer. <laughs> you can't undo that. You can't undo it. Just uh, go and get my head shaved. There you go. You would probably look really cute with a head shaved. Really? I think so. Just like shave it and then put in some like color. I don't know, like maybe like a, like a purple or a blue. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> I <laughs> or, would do that. Or you could do like a, like a honey blonde. That would be pretty. Oh, that'd be pretty. I'm not allowed to get my hair dyed on natural colors because of where I work. At work. Oh, yeah. true. My new job, not not Max. But blonde is natural. So you could do mm-hmm. that. That would, be, that would be cool. That's true. I'd want to dye my hair that color anyways, just to see how I'd look as a blonde. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd look really cute with that hairstyle. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I have too small of a head to get my head shaved, but... I no, know. I think small heads are better for that. Like thinner faces. Hmm. I don't know. Just a theory. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are back this week to talk about an Alyssa pick. Not it ends with us. <laughs> Not it ends with us. <laughs> um, no, this book actually already has a movie or actually a couple movies. Based on it, uh, The Girl on the Train by this, Paula Hawkins. This one was actually a Rhiannon pick. Oh, <laughs> darn. Sorry. Rhiannon pick. <laughs> uh, my pick is next next week. Okay. Well, either way, it was a really good book pick. And I know that there is that movie that came out several years ago with Emily Blunt And before we begin talking about this book, I just want to put a content warning out there that this book does have um, topics of domestic violence, alcohol, um, yeah, and murder. (laughs) (laughs) Before, um, just a warning. So any, if there's any triggers to that, please proceed with caution listening to this, but Um, Yeah, The Girl on the Train. We are entering the world of Rachel. And Rachel is a girl that every day, same time every day, she takes a train to commute into London. And as she's commuting, she's able, you know, at stops along the the commute, uh, they stop and um, she's observing. She likes to observe people going about their day in their homes, the people that live uh, next to the train tracks. So uh, she really looks forward to a particular stop, which is at a house where she has kind of made up the life that they live. She doesn't know them. She knows nothing about them. But through her observations every day, she's kind of made up this life that they have. And she calls them Jess and Jason, and their life seems perfect until one day when she sees something and then the rest is chaotic. (laughs) So, um, really good book before we jump into talking about details. If you have not read this book yet, then, um, maybe pause this episode of the podcast and go Pick up a copy of the book, read it, and then come back and talk about it with us. Or watch the movie. Or watch the movie. <laughs> you can speed it up that Which, way. <laughs> I guess we don't know how closely the, the movie is yes. to the book. We haven't actually watched it. I did not watch the Emily Blunt version. However, 
I was reading up on this book in, on Wikipedia, and it said, um, I think it was 2021, um, the movie, uh, the book was adapted as an Indian, uh, like, Bollywood movie. Mm. I don't know if that's the right term to use for, I don't know if it's Bollywood specifically, but it, it's, it was adapted uh, in an Indian adaption. Oh, yeah. And I have it in my notes, released in February 2021 on Netflix, starring Paraniti Chopra, which is Priyanka Chopra's cousin. Oh, so so random. Yeah. So I was like, huh, interesting. It's on Netflix, eh? So (laughs) I turned turned Canadian. (laughs) So I actually did go and I watched the Indian adaption of this movie. And it actually uh, it actually was really good. Hmm. I, I didn't hate it, um, but it didn't follow exactly with with this book. Um, it took a little bit of a different twist, but mm. it was good. Like I watched it before reading this book and I can't tell if I should have done it that way or if I should have read the book first and then watched the movie because I feel like in my head as I was reading the book, I was like kind of thinking about the movie at the same time. Yeah. So it was hard when it deviated from the movie to be like, oh, okay, I'm needing to track with what's happening in the book. Yeah. So anywho, it was good though. So it's on Netflix if you want to watch it. (laughs) That's good to know. Um, Is it, is it called The Girl on the Train? Yes. Also? Okay. Yep. But the um, other, the American a version was adapted to a movie in 2016, again, starring Emily Blunt. This book occupied the number one spot of the UK hardback book chart for 20 weeks. Wow. The longest time a book has held that top spot. Yeah, that's impressive. So it's a good book. It really is. It It's um, ad- and the uh, twists to it are really good. And um, I feel like I feel like it was a little bit predictable, but again, I can't tell if it's because I watched the movie first. No, I (laughs) definitely did figure it out. Um, The closer, like they definitely give you details where you can figure out the whole thing pretty, not early in the book, but like not towards the end either, like somewhere in the middle-ish, like late, the last part of the middle. (laughs) Right. I was like, okay, I think I got this figured out. Yeah. But I mean, it was still really good, though. I, I enjoyed how she wrote it. It was a lot different than what I expected it to be. I don't know. For some reason, I was expecting it to be like she actually saw a crime happening right when she was on the train or the crime happened on the train mm, and yeah. she was drunk or something and nobody believed her or, yeah, I just, I didn't expect it to be what it was. Um, so that was, that was kind of a a nice surprise for me because it wasn't that predictable based off of the title of the book. Cause when you hear like read the girl on the train, you're expecting it Something's to be happening on the train. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Well, again, uh, we're going to talk about spoilers during this episode. So if you do not want spoilers, go ahead and pause this episode and <laughs> make sure you come back to us after you've read it. But some, some more details about this, um, you know, what the setup of this or the premise of this story. So again, we have Rachel who is taking that train commute every day. She's watching Jess and Jason from the train when it stops in front of their house. Well, we learn that she used to live a few doors down from them and it was before they lived there, but she lived on that same street with her now ex-husband who left her for another woman. And the reason for that was because she had become uh, an alcoholic and she was constantly drunk when she was married to her husband. They had tried to have kids and um, tried IVF and all of those different ways of trying to have a kid and it just never worked out. And so she turned to alcohol as a coping mechanism and uh, her husband, ex-husband claimed that he, she became abusive to him and he ended up leaving for another woman and they live in the same house that, um, she used to live in with him. So, um, there's layers that are happening and, um, 
one day, so she sees Jess and Jason every day and they seem to be in this really happy marriage. And then one day she sees Jess out on the back patio with a different man who she's kissing. And then the next day, um, Rachel wakes up blacked out. She had blacked out the night before, doesn't remember what happened, but she has, um, a, um, gash, a gash on her head and she remembers something strange happened. And then she finds out that Jess, AKA real name, Megan has disappeared. So really interesting setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to read from the point of view of Rachel and then also Megan. So we see we're in present day with, um, with Rachel and, um, in the past with Megan leading up to her disappearance. And then we also read from the point of view of the, um, wife of Rachel's ex-husband, uh, Anna. So what did you guys think? (laughs) That was a, we haven't got into too many details, but what do you guys think of the, uh, of that premise, I guess? I liked it. I thought it was really smart how she kind of led all the stories up towards the end. Um, it was really cool seeing, um, like Megan's point of view, because at first, um, you don't know that Megan is who Rachel was making these stories up about like you don't like because you just hear from Rachel's point of view of them being Jess and and um Jason Jason and so then you now you're hearing from Megan's point of view and you're like who's Megan like I don't understand what's going on and then you start realizing oh Megan is actually um Jess Right. So it's a little confusing at the beginning, but it starts making sense as you get more into it. And then um, I think the reason why it was um, a little easier to kind of figure out everything was because of Anna's point of view. And you she kind of says a lot about like their relationship and how they got together. And that that was my first like thing that popped into my brain is like, oh, he cheated on Rachel. So what makes you think that he's not cheating on you also? So that's kind of what put it together for me is, is seeing Anna's point of view as well. And I'm like, oh, this is definitely going to play into the story because why else would we read from her point of view? True. That's something I don't do very often is like, consider why yeah. <laughs> we're reading from somebody's point of view or why we're getting specific details, which makes me, I guess, uh, want a target audience maybe because I'm easily surprised by the twist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think my first theory, like really early on theory, um, was that somehow Anna was connected with um, Megan's ex-boyfriend who she had the baby with because the whole story of Megan and her baby um, and what happened with that came out after she went missing. So I was like, okay, well the only people she told was her therapist and obviously her ex-boyfriend knows about it. So maybe he told somebody and maybe that person was Anna and somehow that's how she's connected to this whole thing. And you know, they're working together to get revenge, but that maybe that's why she's with Tom Um, And then that started not making sense at all. And so I was like, okay, I need to start thinking of another theory. (laughs) But Anna's definitely saying something for a reason. Like, yeah. So, yeah, there's I think that was my only theory. And before I actually got like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Yeah. Well, before Megan goes missing, Rachel, again, has taken this train every day for a very long time watching, at least for the past two years, watching uh, Jess and Jason, quote, quote, um, live their lives. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, you know, there's those people again. It's like she intimately is invested in their life. She's made up occupations for them. She's, you know, observed every, you know, she has real attachment to them Mm -hmm. and so or who she thinks they are or who Mm -hmm. yeah who she thinks they are 
So a question, uh, like a, a book club question is, uh, we all do it, actively watch life around us. In this way, with our uh, with her own voyeuristic curiosity, Rachel Watson is not so unusual. What do you think accounts for this nosy, all-too-human impulse? Is it more extreme in Rachel than the average person? What is so different about her? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, that's why we read books, is it not? Like, you just get invested into these stories. Or tabloids. Or, yeah, tabloids. A lot of people, like, that is a big thing. Like, when these celebrities, when something happens to them, people, like, openly grieve about it even though they don't personally know these celebrities, but they are invested in their lives. So I don't think that it is um, more like extreme than, than the average person. I don't know if a lot of people do it in this way where it's just them, you know, people just off the street that they're making up stories about. I mean, I often like I'll look at people and be like, I wonder what their story is because of maybe what they're doing or anything like that. But I don't get too invested in it. Like, Start making up yeah, like, this is their whole story. And this is, you know, I am like curious about it sometimes. But I think that we all do it in one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think for Rachel, she has gone through, you know, this really difficult time in her life, you know, trying. She loves Tom, her husband, and, you know, that wasn't the problem, but just that deep desire to have a child and not being able to do that and then turning to alcoholism and her life just basically falling apart from from that point on. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that couple out on their um, terrace every day, um, I think just the the difference between like observing somebody, but then also going that extra step of creating this life for them and almost like you're making up this like TV show <laughs> in yeah. your mind. So I think for that, I think it might've just, it went beyond just that normal impulse and a little bit more into obsessiveness, but because of the trauma that she's, you know, gone through, causing her to take it that extra step. So yeah, it was the life that she wished that she had with Tom and that she expected to have with him. And that was really what prompted it, I think, is because she's like, this should be my life. And so it wasn't really about Megan and Scott. It was about what she felt like she got robbed of. Yeah. Which is really sad. Makes you, it really does make you feel more connected with Rachel. And I think the way that they wrote it, it does make you sympathize with her more. Um, even though she does have this drinking problem, um, I think it makes her more human um, that she is going through these emotions. And um, yeah, it connects you more as a reader. Yeah. Well, right before Megan's disappearance, Rachel sees a pile of clothes from her train window. And from that, she then finds out about Megan's disappearance. And she knows the information about seeing Megan on the terrace with a random man who is not her husband and kissing him. So she goes about making up the fact that she knew Megan from um, her art studio that Megan used to have. And so that she can go and tell her husband, uh, Megan's husband, about the affair, because it could have something to do with her disappearance. And she had went to the police first, but the police didn't really view her as a reliable source because She's had a history. They know her because she has harassed Tom and Anna, her ex-husband and his wife, uh, several times, including a time when she goes and sneaks into their house, grabs their baby and is trying to comfort it and walks away from the house. And Anna comes like 
chasing after her, obviously, and grabs the baby. And it was a whole thing. So she's not a reliable source to the police. So she ends up using that as a way to start talking to um, Jason, a.k.a. Scott. What would you have done differently? Do you think you would have done the same or how could that have been gone about in a better way? Maybe just telling the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like she, I understand why she did it because the police didn't believe her. What makes her think that Scott would? Um, But at the same time, I understand, like, she wanted him to to have somebody else to point the finger at, but that was just based off of the story that she made up about him and his life. She didn't know anything about him, so for all she knew, that he could have done it. So I think that was definitely what I would do differently is, you know, the police got this. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he could have actually killed his girlfriend. Um, what do I know? And now by me giving him information that could have really corrupted the whole investigation because now you're giving him information on somebody else that could possibly be innocent if he's not right. Right. So I think that what she did was not, none of what she did was really that smart. She got involved in something that she should have just stayed out of and, you know, give the information that you have to the police, but then just let them take care of it. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show that deep level of obsession as mm-hmm. well with their lives. And now something she te- really does not have anything to be involved with. She's now involved in. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss some more. All right, welcome back. I always do the breath. I know. I know. (laughs) All right. Well, there's another one. I can't not breathe. Okay. (laughs) Well, when the story begins, we again find Rachel traveling her daily route on the train. What do you think the train symbolizes for the story? uh, How do the train journeys help the story unfold? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't know how to answer that, honestly. Because um, to me, the train didn't really necessarily symbolize anything. Like, they talked about how she was riding the train um, because she ended up losing her job because of her being an alcoholic and showing up to work drunk. And she was riding the train so that her roommate didn't find out that she lost her job because she didn't want her to worry about the rent. Um, so I think, but I think that the the train was also a comfort to her. Um, she did talk about a few times in the book that um, she enjoyed riding the train. She enjoyed trains. That's why they they lived where they did her and Tom lived where they did because she actually enjoyed seeing the trains go by and hearing them. It was like comforting to her, which is really interesting um, because I don't know anybody who intentionally wants to live next to trains. Um, So maybe, maybe this does play more into her obsession with, with people and their stories. Maybe she had this before even her and Tom um, you know, got divorced. Um, maybe she just has some kind of mental, um, what is it? Like not disability, but like, um, dependency, dependency on, on, on people and stories. And yeah, yeah. I think, also, it kind of, you know, when we're, we're reading from the perspective of her riding on the train and observing things from the train, it's kind of like the 
behind closed doors type of, Mm. you know, type of thing. You know, you're observing what you see on the outside. And from that, from your observations, you theorize, you make up stories, but there's more happening, you know, on a deeper level behind closed doors. So I think it's interesting when we get that perspective and it's just kind of like a, you know, it's a peaceful street and, you know, the at the beginning when you don't know about Jess, uh, Megan and, and Scott, it's just kind of like, you know, you're observer, you're an observer from the outside. And there's several times in the book where it talks about people on the train, just kind of going about their day or Mm -hmm. reading their newspapers or, you know, noses down and not really seeing what's happening around them. So I think that might be an interesting part of it as well. Part, part of the symbolism. Yeah. Any thoughts, Ree? <laughs> I mean, it is a really common thing for people to people watch. It's just, I don't know, I feel like it's a very natural thing for people to like watch the action of others and see what other people look like and, you know, just watch other people. I mean, it. I feel like it's just, I mean, not everyone, obviously, but I feel like it's a very human thing to do, but maybe... Maybe she wasn't obviously doing that, um, getting on the train just to do that. Like she was, you know, going to work at first and maybe she just liked people watching. But then it was like a comfort thing, like you said, where she liked looking at other people's lives. And maybe it just started to escalate into becoming an obsession after all of the trauma that she went through. And it really did bring some sort of like in her mind, like a stability yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, and it seemed like she had a kind of interesting relationship with her mother as well. So maybe it does something that went back to her childhood because it seemed like there was a little bit of a strained relationship between her and her mom, even though um, she did still have, I guess, a you know, obviously somewhat of a relationship with her mom because her mom would lend her money. But, you know, maybe this does stem back further for her and that's why it she uses it to escape you know maybe whatever trauma she had as a kid or you know because that's something that builds and maybe just her relationship with Tom and her not being able to have a a baby and then him leaving her maybe that was just the breaking point for her Mm -hmm. yeah well Throughout the book, we hear from Anna's point of view about her perception of Rachel, and we also read from Rachel's point of view of her perception of Anna. So how does the relationship and perception Anna and Rachel have of each other change throughout the novel? I feel like Rachel is, when you look at it, Rachel has a valid you know, um, viewpoint of Anna. This is the woman who started sleeping with her husband while they were still married. And so, you know, obviously she's not going to have a liking (laughs) to her because of that. But I feel like it's kind of interesting. Like, I understand why Anna doesn't like Rachel because of what, you know, Tom was telling her about her. But at the same time, like, I feel like if you're the other woman, then you need to have more of a understanding or like maybe not understanding but like more of like you don't get as much of a right to be upset with the wife right yeah you're the you're the one who is coming in on somebody else's relationship and messing with that so um I feel like that's instantly I was just like yeah I don't like Anna she's like she the audacity for you to you know come after Rachel and like she yes she calls a lot and maybe you don't like the fact that she's constantly in on your lives but I feel like it was something that she should have been more upset with Tom for because he was allowing it Mm -hmm. he kept saying you know I'll take care of it don't call the police like I got it so it was more of like him who was enabling it um but she was taking all that anger out on um Rachel yeah Well, and we find out towards the end that uh, Rachel was not calling as often as 
Tom was letting on. So, uh, and uh, Anna finds out about this too, because her and Rachel are having that conversation and she's like, oh, so probably some of those phone calls that he said was Rachel were probably Megan. Mm-hmm. And even at that point, though, Anna still has such a disdain for Rachel. She calls her fat all the time. Yeah. And like, you know, she's so unattractive, you know, compare. She didn't want to be compared yeah. to Rachel, even up to the end when she's finding out that her husband's been cheating on her and got another girl pregnant and um, it's just crazy her perception um, because, and then even when Tom was confessing all of this and like being really aggressive with Rachel, there was parts of the book where it said Anna laughed along with Tom. And I was like, what is this demented woman? Yeah, (laughs) Like it was super weird. So I don't know up until the end, you know, it was nice that Anna sided with Rachel at the end, but I think it was out of her own self-preservation yeah. to um, move on with her life and to not, you know, get in trouble with the police. And it wasn't looking out for Rachel. Whereas I think Rachel had good intentions towards Anna in the end when she shows up and she's trying to help Anna see what's going on and say, Hey, let's get you somewhere safe. Right. And so just an interesting contrast between the two of them. Cause like you said, Anna, I, I feel like I was getting upset with because I'm like, you have no right to Mm -hmm. be upset about any of this because you were the other woman coming in and you took Tom and um, at least let her grieve. Yeah. At least let her grieve. And, and then from, you know, Rachel's point of view, she had a right to not like Anna mm-hmm. and to be upset with her yet. She stuck her neck out for her. So yeah, just an interesting contrast between yeah. the two characters. Well, cause you have to think too, like not only did you take away her husband, but you also gave him a child, which she couldn't. So that's a lot to process for somebody. Not only did your husband cheat on you, but now he has a child when that was something that you so desperately wanted. Um, yeah, so it, it was just a lot. And I, I almost wonder that if Tom hadn't compared Anna and uh, Rachel to each other, if Anna would have even gone as far as she did to help Rachel because it seemed like that was her biggest thing is as soon as he started comparing them her mind started changing about how the outcome was going to be because at first she was just like oh well you know if he kills Rachel then that solves my problem and she was kind of on board with it and he she was just like yeah you know that then we can move on and and still be a family but then she started I guess, reasoning more on, you know, well, you know, if it's not Rachel, then maybe somebody else will come along because obviously somebody already did with Megan. Um, So I think partly it was because she had a child and she was trying to think about her, her baby. Um, But I think the other part of it too, which is that she's very self-absorbed and didn't like being compared to somebody who she thought was beneath her. So. Does she really like, yeah, she did end up doing the right thing, but you know, did it was selfish. Yeah, it was selfish. <laughs> well, Megan spends a lot of time grieving the terrible loss of her daughter. And um, I know Alyssa alluded to it a little bit earlier, but we find out that before Megan was married to Scott, she, when she was younger, she was with um, a man that she ended up getting pregnant with, but she didn't find out she was pregnant until it was too late to do an abortion. And she did not want this child. Her partner did not want the child, but they went, you know, they had to go through with it and she had the child. She ended up you know, it seemed like they were warming up to being parents somewhat, but still like that wasn't really the lifestyle they were looking for. And uh, one time uh, her partner had left and she was just exhausted from taking care of the baby. She wanted um, to be warm. It was a cold night and she goes to take a bath and with the baby on her chest, she ends up falling asleep. And I think you can guess the rest. So She's lived with this 
guilt and this grief ever since. And so what role does her grief play in her actions throughout this novel? I think it was, I mean, really the the idea of having the secret that she didn't really tell anybody. She didn't even tell Scott about it. And then she started seeing a therapist. And I feel like she kind of got obsessive with, I need to get this off my chest. I need to tell somebody. And so I feel like she kind of similar to Rachel had this obsession with like, in a different way, not with other people making up stories, but making up a story for herself, like mm-hmm. her being different person than who she actually was and having the secret um, that nobody knew and she could be whoever she wanted to be because nobody knew who, like what her past was. But then it came to a point where when she had this therapist who was very understanding of, you know, everything that she'd been through that she became obsessive with him and um, it was her opportunity to kind of set herself free in that way of, okay, now I have, I can get this off my chest. Somebody who is not going to judge me, somebody who's not, who's basically obligated to keep it a secret because patient confidentiality, um, confidentiality. Yeah. So I feel like in a way she, had an obsession as well. And then of course, like when she did find out, um, that she was pregnant, um, that was her opportunity to kind of change her history as well. And now I get to prove that I can be a good mom. And I feel like that was why her actions, um, at the end when she was, telling um tom like because again she didn't know whose baby it was because she was sleeping with you know three different men possibly more we don't know but um when she was telling tom that this is possibly his child and he was like abort it um i feel like that's why it triggered her because she was just like no this is my opportunity Mm -hmm. who are you to tell me to, to get rid of this child, like I'm going to prove something. Yeah. So I feel like that's why normally I don't think somebody would be triggered by that, but I feel like that's ultimately what led to her ending, uh, you know, her life ending because of her reaction. And then obviously Tom has his issues. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like throughout the entire book, the act, I feel like every action she took was influenced by that mm-hmm. past that she had that grief, you know, the infidelity, just all coping mechanisms to try to deal with this terrible thing. I like I can't even fathom yeah. that type of guilt and, you know, I don't even know like how you ha- like continuing life after that, like that'd be so difficult. So the guilt that she carries is absolutely huge. And then I think when she does finally release that with the therapist, she gets that kind of that wind under her sails of like, okay, I'm going to be a better person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do things right. She finds out she's pregnant. She's like, okay, this is it. You know, I'm going to give this baby the life that my, you know, daughter that passed away didn't get. And so, yeah. And then along with the fact that it's in due to infidelity mm-hmm. then you know dealing with Tom who's juggling also this these secret lives and these lies combining those two it just wasn't ever going to end well just a lot of broken people in this book <laughs> who are people. all you know meshed together like yeah a lot of Scott obviously has his issues too and you know, obviously Tom and Anna, like, it's just a lot of people who probably shouldn't be interacting, (laughs) interacting with each other and causing issues. Yeah. Well, uh, it was a very good book. Again, you know, the twist we didn't, uh, well, I guess we did talk a lot about what happens in the book, but, um, to get all the details, you really do have to read it and, um, be able to see all the, the ins and outs of the, relationships between these people. But 
Um, talking about the movie, because I know normally we'd go into who do you see playing this character? And it's already been done. <laughs> so my question is, uh, they cast Emily Blunt as Rachel in the t- 2016 movie. So how how do you see that fitting with the book, Rachel? This one. So I love Emily Blunt. And that's mostly why I will probably watch this movie um, because of her, because I adore her. But I have a hard time imagining her as Rachel just because of how Rachel was perceived in the book as somebody who wasn't desirable, who, you know, even like her roommate's boyfriend was like, huh, nobody would want to date her. And, you know, Tom um, was kind of disgusted by her as well as along with Anna and even Scott because she ends up getting with him and then he seems disgusted as well so I'm just like all these people who how they perceive her in the book I'm like that's not Emily Blunt at all <laughs> so yeah that that's the only reason why I'm just like I don't know like not that I could think of an actor or actress that I'm like, okay, fits that perfectly. Like nobody that you cast is going to be like that. But at the same time, it's just really hard because I'm like, Emily Blunt is just so beautiful. I know. I'm like, I can't imagine anybody being like, no, I wouldn't date her. Right. (laughs) Well, and they depict her in the book as just very frumpy and fat, you know, Mm -hmm. and just kind of not taking care of herself because of her addiction and just her lot in life. So yeah, it is hard to picture, but I guess there's only so close you can get. Yeah. <laughs> um, the person that played Megan is Haley Bennett, and I the only thing I recognize her from is music and lyrics with Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant. Oh. Um, did you guys did you ever see that movie? Yeah, a long time ago. I don't really remember it. She that was long. the pop star that was kind of like all. Oh out okay. there and <laughs> yeah um yeah so she is the one that played Megan which kind of makes me laugh thinking about her role in music and lyrics but <laughs> um just basically looking at her does that fit your depiction of Megan from the book yeah I would say so I mean I knew that both Megan and Anna were blonde because they talk, that's the reason why um, Rachel actually got them mixed up um, when she was trying to remember everything. So um, I kind of imagine Megan being, yeah, like a cute little blonde that was like, like, especially with how Rachel, um, the story that she made up in her head, she kind of imagined her being very like artsy and like very, um, what else? She said something about like how she was just kind of like a carefree, carefree. Yeah. So I think that definitely fits the description of, of, from the book. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, was cast as Anna and I, I feel like she's probably been in a lot of things that I'd recognize, Mm but one of the more the notable ones is the greatest showman. She was yeah. the wife mm. of uh, Hugh Jackman. No, she was, was she the, the opera singer. Yeah, was she the opera singer? Oh, mm-hmm. you're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind on that one. But yeah, she was the opera singer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she played Anna in The Girl on the Train. See, this is where it kind of like I don't know if she has blonde hair in the movie. Um, in real life, her hair is like reddish, darker red, which is beautiful because I am watching The Greatest Showman. Every time that's the scene with her and Hugh Jackman in the in the room talking, I'm like, I want her hair so bad. It's so beautiful. Um, but this is kind of where it goes off for me because I'm like, I mean, I guess... I guess you can play around it, but like that's going back to like that's why Rachel mixed them up is because they're both blonde and and all that. But I mean, I guess there's ways around that. Like she you can remember somebody's hair color wrong, too, or like anything like it. They could just say, oh, it's like more of like the clothing or something like that. You can go around that. But I do like her a lot. 
I think she she would play um, Anna very well. Yeah. Well, we also have Luke Evans, who was cast as Scott. And oh, yeah. again, another Beauty and the person Beast. you would see a lot. Yeah, but Beauty and the Beast as Gaston. Gaston. And um, I think that that's a really good casting for how I picture Scott, because in the book, it it alludes to the fact that Scott is a little more aggressive. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a bigger, you know, muscly person that yeah. could potentially, you know, be somebody that hurts somebody else. Yeah. And so I think that that casting is pretty well fitting to what I would imagine Tom to be or sorry, Scott to be in the in the book. Yeah, I agree with that. And like he he can play obviously he played Gaston, but like somebody who's a little more like arrogant or like I guess I don't know uh, the the right you word suspect, I'm looking for. But also don't suspect. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally we had Tom who uh Justin Thoreau was uh cast as and that is Jennifer Aniston's husband. Oh, see, I didn't recognize him at all. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything. I don't think I have either. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen him in the tabloids <laughs> with with Jennifer Aniston. So yeah, I have no baseline of his acting or any of that. But um, I okay. can see him as Tom because yeah. again, he seems kind of not, he seems a little bit opposite of scott yeah not as big and muscly more you know not something somebody you would suspect over scott right yeah but i imagine tom being somebody who's a little bit more charming and so hopefully that's how they portray him i don't like i said i don't recognize him that much so i wouldn't know based off of his personality or anything else he's been in if that's like a good casting but you know that's how i imagine them them casting somebody who's a little like less intimidating looking and just more charming and like because that's how narcissists are they're more usually like really good looking but like they're able to like get you to like them and like on their side yeah well despite the fact that this movie has already been made was there anybody else that you had in mind that you were picturing while you were reading the book well I purposely didn't picture anybody because I knew there was a movie And I didn't want, I knew I wanted to see it because of Emily Blunt being in it. So I was like, you know, I'm not even going to go down that road (laughs) because I'm like, I'm just going to make myself mad if like the person I imagined is, you know, a better pick or whatever for the role. So, um, yeah, I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to look up the cast and I tried to more so envision the people that they had already cast in these roles. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, that is The Girl on the Train. So again, if you haven't read it, I know we spoiled a lot of things during this episode, but still grab yourself a copy and take a look at it. It's a good book. And our next book we are going to be reading um, and discussing in a couple weeks is To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. This is Alyssa's pick. Yay. I'm so excited. I have seen, um, they do have movies to these books, um, and I've seen bits and pieces of them. I haven't actually seen the full movies, um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I've, I actually got introduced to these books, um, by Deja, who's been on our podcast before and instantly fell in love with them. These books are just so adorable. So I'm excited to discuss them. And I think we may be having, uh, our guest on Deja. Yeah. So awesome. All right. Well, until next time, we hope you guys have a beautiful couple weeks. for listening to books between sisters if you are a book lover and enjoyed our discussion 
We'd love to hear more from you. Please feel free to follow us on Twitter or Instagram or both at BBS underscore pod. You can also send us book suggestions or questions at booksbetweensisterspod at gmail.com. Or if you'd like, you can find us on ko-fi.com forward slash BBS podcast if you want us to buy us any coffee, books, or just donations of any kind.